Well, hello, Christ Chapel, and hello to all of you streaming at the West Campus, South Campus, or joining us there, streaming all across the world, Converge Hive. Uh, man, just super excited to worship with you today. I, I do want to say personally a thank you to the Christ Chapel family uh, for making Easter just an incredible worship celebration. Uh, I, I thought it was fantastic, and uh, we asked you to invite your friends and neighbors, and you did so, and uh, so much so that, uh, I mean, it was just incredible. Uh, the amount of people that we had loved it, and so I'm going to ask you to do something else. You're like, Cody, I already did one thing. Uh, okay, here. Here's the next thing. Uh, those folks that you invited uh, to come with you to Easter, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to go back to them and ask them two questions. First question is this, what stood out to you? Just, just very simply, what stood out to you? And the second question is, will you come back with me? And if they come back with you, you will buy them a meal, Okay. Go ahead and promise them that. I don't know what service you go to. Either you're going to buy them brunch or lunch or breakfast or something like that, okay? But I, I want to know what stood out to them. I, I want to know what impacted them or what they were thinking about as they, they drove away. And I'm going to ask the folks that I invited uh, those same questions. So what stood out to you? And will you come back with me? If you do, I will buy you food. Okay, that's what you're going to do. Those, those two things, please. And certainly, email them in to me. I'd, I'd love to know uh, what they're going to say. But we're going to have some fun today. In 2013, a phrase came onto the scene that I know that you will all recognize. And the phrase is, no rules, just right. You recognize this, don't you? I mean, may, maybe you would recognize it if I said it in an Australian accent. Now, I won't, but um, No Rules Just Right was introduced into the world by this uh, wonderful chain called Outback Steakhouse. And, and you've heard of it before. And the reason why they introduced this phrase was because they wanted to capitalize on everyone's desire to customize their meals. That you can have your meal just the way that you want it. They have so many options and combinations on their menus that there's no rules. You just get it just right, just the way that you would like it. So you want a steak? Sure, we can do it. How would you like that cooked? Would you like any toppings on that? Not enough protein? Would you like to add some you know, shrimp to that? You know, oh, you're not a steak person. Would you like chicken? Hey, not enough protein? Let's add a rack of ribs next to that. You know, an awesome blossom, uh, yes, please, too, you know. There, there, were, there are no rules, no rules to it, just right. That's what they were capitalizing on. And man, I bought it hook, line, and sinker. We, we all do because we all love that customization. We don't want any rules to anything that we want. We just want it just right. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if life worked that way? If life had no rules, it was just right. I mean, do you want to go to work? No. You know, would you like traffic anywhere? No. You know, would you like me to turn the wind down a tad bit for you? Yes, please. You know, no rules. Just right. It would be wonderful if the world worked that way for us. Here's the problem is your just right infringes on someone else's just right. 
what you want your way pushes in to somebody else's way, then they don't get their way. And that's why in our world, we have rules. It, the world doesn't work like Outback Steakhouse. It doesn't work like a restaurant, even though we would like it to. And so we've got to understand, how do we interact with others when our desires bump up against theirs? And that's why people dedicate their lives, uh, schools dedicate departments to this idea of ethics, which is really just moral principles that govern people's behavior. How, what, what situation determines how I should uh, help you or, or interact with you? Because what I want to do doesn't always help you. And so should I, should I not, when can I retreat, when do I need to step in? All of those ethical things are what people study for forever, really, in their lives. And that's why it goes on in, in perpetuity. And it would be great if we knew the, the ethical behavior that applied to every situation. But there are, are so many rules you know, Jesus talks about so many rules, or not, not rules necessarily, but so many principles about how we're supposed to interact with people. I mean, really, isn't that what Scripture is all about, about how we should interact or treat God and treat and interact with others? That's really what all of Scripture is about. And honestly, I think that's one of the reasons why so many people uh, are not necessarily attracted to Christianity is because they think there are so many rules. They think the, the Christian life is so co constricting because of the, all the boxes that, that are put around them. But really, I think if you think about it, and I want to show you this today, is that Outback stole that phrase from Jesus. Because when you look at Jesus' ethic, he doesn't have a bunch of rules. Jesus' kingdom ethic is no rules, just right. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So Matthew chapter 7, if you would open your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 to 14. You will need your sermon notes because a part of what is on your sermon notes is not going to come up on the screen, and I want to talk through that. We're obviously continuing our series today upside down as we study uh, the Sermon on the Mount and remember the context of this. This is Jesus's essentially uh, royal inaugural address. As Jesus brings his kingdom, he is the rightful king to rule and to reign. And he's explaining in the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous speech that Jesus ever gave, what his, uh, the rule of his kingdom should look like. That, that's what this is all about. And of course, in any kingdom, one of, one of the things that the king or the royalty needs to explain is how people are going to interact with each other. How their citizens should treat one another. And today we're going to study probably one of the most Actually, I think it's probably the most well-known scripture in all of scripture as it relates to Christianity because we're going to study the golden rule or what has been called the golden rule. And really, it's not, in a sense, the, the principle is not unique to Christianity. 
And I'll show you that. We've actually seen this similar principle worked out in ancient history. Uh, many uh, kings or queens or royalty in ancient days used similar kind of phrases and thoughts to this. But Jesus, as you can imagine, turns it upside down and applies it in a totally different way. Uh, see, I want to show you not only what this rule is, but we're going to talk through it. And the reason why we're going to spend so much time on such a small portion of Scripture is because if you know the golden rule, then you know that it's impossible to apply. Impossible to apply. And that's why it's going to take some explanation. So I've got to explain to you what the rule is because it's just right. And then I want to show you the path, and I want to show you who's led the way on that path. So let's look at the rule. See, Jesus introduces this kingdom ethic that encourages charitable action without expectation of reciprocation. And I know that that's a mouthful, but we're going to break it all down. But kingdom ethics encourages charitable action without expectation of reciprocation. Let's look at the golden rule. Verse 12. Jesus says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now I want to tell you, I want to explain the variation that we find throughout history. Throughout history, really the variation that we find most, most prominent is really one that is stated in the negative. What we find throughout history are kings and queens or, or, or countries basically saying, if you would hate that someone would do X to you, then don't do it. So it's, it's, a, it's a negative. If you wouldn't want somebody to do it to you, then don't do it to them. It's not only a negative, but it's very passive. Right? It, it just says, you know, don't do that. Jesus turns it upside down and flips it on its head because this is not passive. What Jesus is explaining is proactive. And it's not in the negative, it's in the positive. You see, if you look back at it, it's very proactive. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, then go and do to them. You should be proactive in how you treat people, in thinking about other people, in putting their needs first. You see, it's totally upside down. You see, with the other rule, there were bounds to it, meaning if you don't think about it, then you don't really have to, to do it. With Jesus here, there's no bounds to how you should treat other people well. And what I mean by that, I, that I was very particular in that word charitable, which means you should give graciously in, in how you treat one another and, and not do it with expectation that they're going to give you something back. That's, that's not what this says. It doesn't say do unto others so that they will do unto you. It's just as you wish, as you dream, as you hope. You, you think, think about the depth of that statement, whatever you wish, what do you wish for yourself? 
I mean, we wish, we dream, we hope for ourselves so many things. And Jesus says, guess what? Other people have those same aspirations, those same thoughts for themselves. And guess what? Go do that for them. Whatever you wish, whatever you hope, whatever you dream that you wish people would do for you, do for them. No bounds. This is in quality, but it's also in quantity. It's without prompting. Somebody doesn't have to do something nice for you. I mean, this, this is unbelievable what Jesus is saying here of his expectation of how his citizens would treat one another, which is why I say, I mean, it's impossible to apply. It's, it, it, it's so hard to apply. But he says, this is how you will fulfill the law and the prophets. Remember, we, we've talked about this, and you've heard this, and we'll study it again in Matthew chapter 22, because Jesus said that's the greatest command. You know, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what fulfills, this is sums up everything that's in the Old Testament. Everything that's back here, you get if you would just do this one thing, which is why I said there are no rules in Christianity, because really there's just one. There's no rules. It's just do right. Do right by people. (laughs) Do right by the things that you wish that they would do unto you. He said, this is what sums it all up. This fulfills all. You don't have to remember the 613 rules and commands in the Old Testament. It's just one. And that's why so many variations have been used throughout history is because it's very simple. It's very, it's very easy to remember. It's very memorable. That's why it's called the golden rule and so many people know it. But because it's so hard to apply, throughout this, I want to give you some applications of, of what we can do to begin to step toward that, to living as a citizen of God's kingdom. And so the first one is this. Develop deep relationships that are not governed by rules. Develop deep relationships that are not governed by rules. Now, here's here's the reason why I say that. First, the reason why rules are in place is because we need them so we don't infringe on one another. We don't step on each other's toes. That's why why rules are are there. You know, I, I want to be able to come to the church safely from my home and so there's, and I want you to do the same. And so there are great rules that are in place that I will drive on the right side of the road and so will you. So, so we, don't, we don't run into each other. That, those rules are in there for our, our safety. It's so we can expect reciprocal behavior. Hey, look, I'll drive the speed limit so you drive the speed limit. Like I, I'll pay my taxes, you pay your taxes. Like all these rules are in place so that we can have good relationships and healthy things. But if that's the only thing that governs our behavior with one another, then we'll never be charitable. Because the only reason why I'm following the rule is because I expect you to follow the rule. I'll never give above and beyond. It's really just selfish. And sometimes can cross the line even to manipulative. And that's why I say we've got to develop deep relationships because I I think and I've seen in in my world, in my own life, that the deeper the relationship, 
the more charitable we are, the more gracious we are, the kinder person that we are, the more thoughtful we are of that person that we have a deeper relationship with. Because see, I I do want to say this, because so often we talk about this golden rule, many people think of the person that they don't know. Meaning, we, th- we, we hear this verse and we go, oh yeah, that person that you know, experiences homelessness, you know, yeah, I should probably help them. Do to them. Yes, this applies to them. But come on, we need to be kind to the people that are around us. I mean, these are the people we live with, people that we live next to, the people that we work with. This same thing applies to them. And I think what we need is to develop deep relationships. And I want to show you a visual uh, Jen showed me this a long time ago. My wife, uh, she, has her, uh, she was a counselor. And so um, I want to show you this because this was really helpful for me. And she drew this out for me one time. And in relationships, there are always rules. I mean, you know, these, these, we should do this. And by the way, there are right time in relationships to have rules. There are absolutely relationships that need appropriate rules. We talked about uh, it with our, the marriage sermon that we talked about earlier, that good fences make good neighbors, like good rules apply. When you don't know a person, when your relationship is low, the rules then need to be high. Does that make sense? When you don't know a person, you want a lot of rules because those rules help govern the expectations of how you're going to interact and respond. I'll give you a great example. For those folks that drop their children off in our children's ministry right before our worship service, you should know there are so many rules that we have in our children's ministry. So many. I mean, they go through extensive background checks, extensive training, high rules about how we interact with your children because we know that you don't know everyone and you don't have that depth of relationship and you go, praise God, Cody, that the rules are high. And absolutely, that is 100% appropriate. But sometimes in our own lives, we find that the relationships that are low, the rules have to be high. And guess what? The opposite is true. That when your relationship is high, the rules can be lower. Why? Because I trust you. You trust me. We have each other's best interest in mind. You know me a little bit more. We, we can walk together in this. You, you know, we, we don't have to check in on so many different things because we have a high relationship. The rules can be lower. And, and we, we've talked about, I just mentioned marriage. Now, this applies in marriage, too. When, there become, uh, when, there, when you're starting to sense some tension in your marriage and it feels like there are beginning to be a lot of rules in a sense, maybe your relationship is suffering. And maybe you need to focus on your relationship. So as you sense that barometer of rules going up, you need to do a check-in on just the pure relationship uh, with your spouse. So that's a good principle, I think, that applies and you need to understand. Because we need to develop deeper relationships. Because if we don't develop relationships, then it's going to be tit for tat. I did this for you, you do this for me. It's governed by rules instead of charity. And so we need to continue to develop those rules or develop those deeper relationships so that we can understand that person to treat them as we wish we would be 
treated. Okay, the second aspect of kingdom aspect is the path. The kingdom ethics is the path. Kingdom ethics is not only the, 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 the rule, is no rules just right, but it's the way of heaven. But you've got to understand that it doesn't earn your way to heaven. See, in ancient past, when this phrase has, has been used, one of the ways it's been used is a path to enlightenment or a path to um, happiness, a path to heaven, a path to nirvana, a path to whatever that end is. That if you treat people this way, if you treat people nicely and kindly, then you're going to end up at whatever utopia that is that you would hope that would be at the end of that rainbow. But Jesus is not saying that if you just treat people well, that you'll end up in heaven because you cannot earn your way there. And I think that's why he follows it up with actually another very famous passage in verses 13 and 14. Look at it with me. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, the way I want you to under, begin to understand this passage is the first phrase that is there in verse 13, which says, enter by the narrow gate. And then he talks about a path. You see, there's a path beyond the gate. And the reason why that's important is because that is a clue to you and to me as the reader that we don't get to heaven by walking the narrow road. The gate is what you enter through. And he's saying, if you enter through the gate, that narrow gate is a relationship with the king this is his kingdom ethic that he's telling you about here. If you have a relationship with the king, then you will be on this narrow road. You don't go along this narrow road and at the end of your life end up at a gate that he ends up opening for you because you've made it so far down the narrow road. Do you get me? It's not some place you end up. It's you enter into a relationship with Jesus and he says, great, this is the way of my kingdom. It's on the straight and narrow. And that's really important for us to understand because there's one misconception, I think, that is prevalent in, in our world. And that's that the, the way to heaven is not only earned, but it's a funnel. And, he, and here's, what, here's what I mean by a funnel. Is that I think people think that they can start off their lives on the wide road that they can live their lives however they want. And as their time narrows down, that they can begin to make changes or begin to make sacrifices and begin to go, okay, Lord, I'll start living for you now. And that is not at all what he is describing. He is not describing a funnel. He is describing a fork. This is a fork in the road where you are going to make a decision and the fork, one way leads to a wide road, and one road leads to a narrow. Notice that in a fork, there is no fence. 
You can't ride the fence. You're either on the wide road that leads to destruction or you're on the narrow road. And what I wanna do is I wanna break those down because both of those roads Jesus describes here as having ethical implications. And so I wanna describe to you what the, the worldly ethic ethical system says and what the kingdom ethic describes because they are distinctly different. And this is on your sermon notes. You see, the worldly ethics, that ethic is so different from the kingdom ethic. One, because worldly ethics is relative. That's why it, that's part of the reason why people spend their lives and universities spend gobs of money on departments is because they want everything in ethics to be relative. You come with any question, you know, how should I uh, treat my uh, dad? Well, what are the circumstances? Well, how did your dad treat you when you were growing up? Well, what's going on with your dad now? They ask all these qualifying questions to try to run it through a formula and make it relative. And what Jesus is saying is it's, it's not relative in his kingdom ethic. You see, now that sounds very reasonable for everything to be relative, but I want to remind you of what Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says. It says, there's a way that seems right, but in the end it leads to death. There's a way that seems right, but in the way it leads to death. And that's exactly what Jesus is describing here as he describes this worldly ethic. Let me just walk you through those. He says there's one path that is wide. What I mean by that, and when we look at the world, it means it's spacious. It's it's accommodating. And accommodating for not only what you want it to be, but what you want to bring along. You, you can bring along any ideal. You can bring along any belief. It's, it's very wide. This is why he says one of the things is that many are on it. The majority find that way. It's easy. The majority find it because that's natural for us. We all want the easy road, myself included. Everybody wants that. We want that easy road, the one that comes naturally, the one that avoids conflict, I read as I was studying for this, one person said, uh, the easiest way is always downhill. And that's true. That, that's very true. And that's very frightening. Because when we take that easy way, oftentimes things do go downhill. That's why he says, in the end, though, it leads to destruction. And the word that's used there for destruction means eternal punishment, eternal destruction. But we know that when we take the the worldly ethic and we try to apply it in our lives, that oftentimes it ends up destroying relationships. It destroys our contentment. It destroys our love for one another. It destroys so many aspects of of our lives. And that's why Jesus says, hey, if you have a relationship with me, you don't live by worldly ethics. You live by the kingdom ethic. See, the big difference there is this is absolute. It's not, it's not relative. <laughs> Whatever you wish that someone would do for you, do to them. Point. 
End of story. Don't need qualifiers. Don't need to ask you questions. That's really the only question that I need to ask you. And you say, Cody, that's very narrow. Yes. It is very narrow. That's, what he, that's how he describes the road, which means specific and focused. That sounds hard. Yes. Because that's going to mean that you are surrendering the direction that you want to go. And there's a lot of self-denial involved in that. You see, you don't get to bring along everything that you want to bring along. And really, honestly, what Jesus is asking to leave behind are only the things that you're not meant to carry. It's not wide enough to carry the baggage. He doesn't want you carrying the baggage. That's why he says, this is, this is specific. This is narrowed. It will require surrender to his way, to his will, and denying yourself sometimes and what you want. He says that's why only a few find it. It's the minority. But in the end, it leads to life. You know, I think the way that Jesus would maybe say that uh, today in, in our culture, it's his way or the highway. There's only two ways. And the highway is easy. His way is hard. And not everybody can do it. Sometimes it does seem unreasonable. Uh, I want to give you an example of this. In Matthew chapter 8, just write it down. Matthew chapter 8, verses 19 and 22. Um, actually, I'll read it for you, but you don't need to turn there. But it's a passage that we won't study later on. And a scribe came up and said to Jesus, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Like, I, I'm coming through the gate, Jesus. You're my direction. You're the only way. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, does that mean that Jesus says we can't attend funerals? No. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying here is he wants you to focus on the kingdom to come. It's, it's a focused way. It's not wide. It's not accommodating. It's not do whatever you want. It's not, it's not a funnel. Eventually get to me, Jesus says. He doesn't say that. He is the gate and his way is narrow. And we live now in what is in light of what is to come. So here's one of the things that we need to do in order to apply this. It's develop consistent disciplines that keep you on the straight and narrow. Develop consistent disciplines that keep you on the straight and narrow. Uh, many of you know I grew up in small town Texas and actually not even in small town Texas, seven miles outside of small town Texas. Uh, which meant that we did a lot of driving to and from for everything. Gas, grocery, school, didn't matter. Which meant that we were driving past a lot of fields that oftentimes uh, would plant corn or, or cotton usually. A lot of corn, but corn and cotton. And one of the things that always fascinated me as I was growing up is how straight these rows were. Whether they were plowing or harrowing, it didn't matter. But I'm like, how do they do that? That is so straight. And maybe you probably already know this, but the way that they make those rows so straight is they 
pick a point out in the distance, out in the future, and they align that point with their hood ornament, something that is right there on the front of the tractor. And as long as they keep those two things aligned, they'll stay in a straight line. That keeps them on the straight and the narrow. And we have to do the same thing. You see, what Jesus is asking us to do is to align our current life, our hood ornament, with his future coming kingdom. And we've got to develop disciplines. Because can you imagine how disciplined a farmer must be to plow or harrow that field? I mean, you can't look to the side or you're going to turn the wheel. You can't look behind you. You can't start texting and driving. Please don't do that, people, okay? It's very dangerous. But you've got to keep those things, those are those disciplines. And here are the two things that I want us specifically to keep aligned. One, I need you to stay in God's word. That's the thing, that, that's the future point in a sense that keeps you aligned with Jesus' kingdom coming. Because everything that he says in his word is opposite of what our world is telling us. That's that thing that has got to be the point out in the future. And the hood ornament, what I need you to keep in line with here is community. You've got to be around other believers. If you're not around other believers who are holding you accountable, then it doesn't matter how much you're staying in the word. I love that you're staying in the word. But we've got to be around other people that help sharpen us to these things. Those are the two things that we keep in alignment. Those folks that say, Cody, you're getting out of line here. You see, nobody can tell me that if it's just me and my Bible. The Holy Spirit can and does. But somebody else around me can say, Cody, that was out of line. Yeah, you're right. Forgive me, Father, and forgive me whoever. Those are the two points that will keep us, but those gotta have to be consistent disciplines. And one of the others that we need to obviously always invite into those conversations is our leader, and that is Jesus. See, kingdom ethics has been demonstrated perfectly and imputed with expectations. And I'll explain all of those words. Kingdom ethics has been demonstrated perfectly and imputed with expectations. You see, when we say it's impossible to apply the golden rule, you're absolutely right. It is impossible, but Jesus has done it. What is impossible with man is possible with God, and that's why God sent Jesus. And Paul sums up how Jesus did this and the expectations that he places on our life in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Yeah, that's easy. But in humility, count others more significant than whom? This is impossible. Count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his, his or her own interests, but also to the interests of others. And he says, have this mind among yourselves. But there's a key phrase here, which is yours in Christ Jesus. 
You see, Jesus demonstrated this perfectly. In fact, Paul goes on, and I encourage you to read the rest of Philippians chapter 2. He goes on telling how Jesus did this. Who being God did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but instead took on the form of human flesh so that he could come and dwell among us. You want to talk about living in humility, counting others better than himself. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus demonstrated doing for others what he wished we would do for him, which was surrendering our lives. That's what he wants. And you say, Cody, that's great. I'm glad that Jesus did it. I can't do it. Yes, you can. You know why I know that? Because that last little phrase that's there in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, what does it say? Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. You see, that's why I use the word imputed with expectations. He has given it to you. You see, what links Jesus' example with his expectation is his imputation. God, does, God never, he will never expect anything from you that he will not empower you to do. And the reason why he puts this expectation on us is because he empowers us to do it and he gives us that mind. And so what we need to do as we need to develop his mind and consistently renew our mind is develop authentic devotion to the one who devoted his life to you. You've got to develop authentic devotion to him and here's why, because actually using this whole golden rule idea. You've heard me say this negatively, and, and I think this is true. I've seen it play out all the time. Hurt people hurt people. I hate that. It's, it's, it, I've, I've just seen it axiomatically work out in the world. But here's something else that I've seen that's an axiom. Helped people help people. And those that are helped by Jesus have way more compassion to help other people. That's why we've got to keep those sights aligned. Our eye on him and his kingdom coming. Knowing that going back that he's the one that has helped us. That said, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. God, you've got all of my needs. So you know what? I can count others better than myself. I don't have to do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Because you are looking out for my needs. And so I don't have to help myself. I can help others. You see, the kingdom of God is actually a lot more like Outback Steakhouse. There's no rules. It's just right. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you empower us to do what you expect of us what you ask of us. And so, Lord Jesus, we need your mind and heart. That's why we're doing this entire series is so that we would embody the heart of Jesus so that we could make an impression on, so that we could reach out to, so that we can invite others in our own backyard to walk with you, the life giver, because right now, Lord, they're on a path that's wide and easy and accommodating and it leads to destruction. Lord Jesus, keep us on the straight and narrow, following after you, inviting others to that life that is abundant. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.